The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. I can tell that most of you use the informal way of passing the peace. The formal way of passing the peace is very quick. <laughs> What's up? <clears throat> That's okay. We, uh, if, for those of you who may not know, we, uh, this is our second week here um, with our two services combined into one. And so there's folks here in the room who haven't seen each other for a long time and, and so forth. And, so. and we're a friendly bunch anyway. Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, we are in the second week of this midsummer series in which we look at the parables of Jesus. And the, uh, the parables, as, I, as you may remember if you were here last week, um, are just a way of comparing two things. You think of the word parabola, same root. So this is sort of a parabolic object lesson. Um, it's a simile. Uh, and very often th- that takes the form of Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or something like that. And other times, which is the case today, he sets up a, a parable where he's comparing two types of people or two types of things, and that, that's uh, what we're looking at today. But before we get into the actual uh, biblical text, I wanted to tell you a story about my uh, childhood conversion to Christianity. Now, I was raised in the church, uh, and so depending on your theology, the, the conversion concept, maybe you may look at that a little differently, but um, uh, we were in a very uh, traditional um, evangelical Protestant church, and, uh, and I had Sunday school. Now, we don't have Sunday school here. We have uh, um, Crayola markers. Um, <laughs> but actually, we're at, keep it on the radar because there's, there will be something. Uh, it won't be Sunday school, but there will be a kids type of program starting in the fall, and we're going to demo that. Uh, during the summer a little bit, so you can keep your ears and eyes open for that. But <laughs> uh, how old is Noella? Eight, okay, so it's for it's for uh, two years and above. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> she's she's very advanced. <laughs> My son was very advanced. He had the terrible twos starting at eighteen months. Um, so. Uh, when I was five or six years old, I was in Sunday school, maybe seven. I don't remember the exact year. Um, but the, uh, the teacher that day invited any of the children who would like to, to pray the sinner's prayer to pray the sinner's prayer and, and to become a Christian. Now, if you don't know what the sinner's prayer is, um, I, I downloaded, uh, I, I, I copied and pasted one from the Internet. So... Um, the sinner's prayer, and I don't want to make light of this prayer because for some of you this may have been a, a very significant moment of faith, and in some ways it was for me, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but the sinner's prayer goes something like this. It basically says, God, I'll read it verbatim, Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry, and now I want to turn away from my past sinful life toward you. 
Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins, was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and here's my prayer. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So anybody else ever prayed that prayer, you know, at your moment of coming to faith? Some, Some of you probably did. Um, and there's even the most theological and, and historically rooted among us could say, well, it's Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's got confession. It's got statements about who Jesus is. There's nothing wrong with this prayer. Um, it may not be the type of way that, that we at Artisan kind of approach um, evangelism or conversion, but there's nothing wrong with this prayer. And it's, it's, it was the first uh, intentional and uh, cognitive and aware moment of faith that I had had. At that young age, the Sunday school teacher said, if you want to say these words, pray, pray the prayer and raise your hand and we'll, you know, welcome to the family of God. And um, so that was, that was my, my first official conversion moment. Um, this prayer is one that, that um, became popular in the 20th century middle of the 20th century when Billy Graham started doing his evangelistic crusades, and this is the, very similar to the type of prayer that he would lead people in when they came forward and wanted to uh, accept Christ and, and become a Christian. Um, and it's used in, on different, you know, campus evangelical groups and that kind of thing as well. It's very common to, to use it in evangelism. And uh, the parable that we're looking at today is quite possibly the biblical origin for this prayer, and you'll see where I mean what I mean in a minute. Um, but I have to say that that preaching the parables is it's kind of has a unique it's uniquely difficult um, because what I'm presented with is the task of telling you the story of Jesus, like the the very center of our faith, and you know the greatest preacher in Christian history, certainly. And I have to read you the sermon that he preached, basically, which was very short. <laughs> and then I have to tell you, like, what he really meant or something. I have to say something above and beyond what Jesus already said and, and, and make myself sound smart or something like that, help you understand it. And so that's, a, that's kind of a challenging thing. I was thinking about that this week. And I'm like, you know, there might be something to be said for just reading that parable and walking away. But... And this one is, this one's even a little bit more challenging because it, it comes right out at the beginning. This is one of those rare instances where the, uh, the gospel author, in this case, uh, Luke, says before he tells the parable exactly who this was directed at. So, like, you can't even, I can't even tell you how to apply it necessarily. Um, he doesn't bury the lead. He comes right out and says, this is how the, how the passage starts, Jesus told this story to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. So, um, Mac users, apparently. Um, I have a Mac. Three of them, actually, and two iPhones in my house. So, that's a self-deprecating joke. When I insult Windows users, that's not self-deprecating at all. So if you want to look at this parable with me, uh, there are red Bibles under your chair. If you didn't bring one with you, you can use one of those. And uh, if you turn in the red Bibles to page 853, it's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, 
verses 9 through 14. Here's what it says. <clears throat> he also told this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the second man, went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. So, <clears throat> first a word about the characters in this little story, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, I mentioned last week when we talked about scribes, that scribes were people who, who knew the law really well, Pharisees were teachers of the law. And very often in the Gospels, the scribes and Pharisees are, are described sort of contemptuously. They're, they're not usually held up to be wonderful examples of, of who, you know, of how to apply all that great religious knowledge that you may possess. Um, however, there are some instances, Nicodemus is one who, who uh, kind of step outside that mold. And uh, just being a Pharisee or a scribe is not necessarily wrong. Uh, just that's the, the, the characters sort of become caricatures a little bit. They're, they're models of who not to be. A similar thing happens with tax collectors. Um, tax collectors, uh, unlike today, were um, really, they were regarded very negatively. Uh, whereas today, you know, the, those IRS agents are some of our favorite people. <laughs> uh, but tax collectors could go around and collect taxes and they'd say, you know, your taxes. X plus 20, <laughs> you know, and they would take extra, and you couldn't really do anything about it, you just had to give them the money and be angry. So they were, they go right, they go really well with that list of other sinners that the Pharisee listed, thieves and rogues and adulterers, um, tax collectors. And so it, you know, there's nothing inherently evil with being a tax collector, even now, um, today, but for the purposes of these stories, it's helpful to know that these are, you know, they're, they're kind of uh, caricatures in some ways. So I don't know what to do with this passage except to think about what, how, how it might correspond to modern culture a little bit. So let's look at the, um, first of all, the, the list of people that the Pharisee prays thanking God that he's not like. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, and the tax collector. And I thought it might be fun to, uh, to have a little bit of conversation about who, what, what people might be the modern-day thieves and rogues and adulterers and tax collectors. So it's, uh, it wouldn't be church without a little bit of self-righteousness. So who are the people 
today who we, you know, if we were praying in the temple, if we were praying in church saying, God, I am so thankful that I am not, what? What would it be? A politician. Uh, that's fun. Say? A lawyer. <laughs> Any lawyers in the room? Not going to raise your hand now, are you? <clears throat> An oil company executive. I thank you that I am not like this oil company executive. When I spill millions of barrels of oil, I clean it up right away. <laughs> Investment bankers. Yeah. CEOs who steal from their employees and customers. This is fun. Keep going. <laughs> Crooked contractors. You mean the ones who put the boards up sideways? <laughs> and charge you devil to fix it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you that you are not a crooked contractor, right? Is that that's your prayer? You wake up every morning. Did I hear something else? Sorry? Car dealers. Oh, huge example. <laughs> Reality show stars. Wow. Well, we could go on all day, but maybe we could, um, let's talk about the, the, the more pharisaical side of things. What are some ways that religious people today, now let's keep it within the family, so maybe particularly Christian religious people, what are the ways that we are self-righteous like the Pharisee? You know, we don't maybe necessarily stand up in church and pray out loud uh, about how wonderful we are as compared to those around us. But let me start the ball rolling by saying we do slap bumper stickers on our car sometimes that say something along those lines. What are some other ways that, that we are like the Pharisee in this story? Bible verses in your email signature. Wow. <laughs> Who would do that? Wow. Ah, the protesters, yes. The megaphone set. Mm -hmm. the, <laughs> anybody who hands out the Jack Chick tracks. Wow. Now, there may be somebody in the room who came to faith as a result of a Jack Chick tract. I heard that it happened one time. <laughs> Say again? Feeling like you have the moral high ground. Wow. Do you want to be more specific or is that... A, just want to leave it at that. Okay. Because you don't actually do that. You're just, you know, other people, right? Yeah. <laughs> Christian reconstructionists. Whoa. I will leave that one alone. A vacation Bible school sign on your, on your front lawn. Wow. I don't know if anybody has ever done that, but sounds like you do. <laughs> putting, <laughs> putting one on your neighbor's lawn. That's nice. Yes. 
How about uh, sitting in church on Sunday and making a list of all the different types of self-righteous people there are? But again, this Pharisee's example, you know, it's easy for us to say that's kind of absurd, especially the way that he's praying. Have you ever heard somebody pray? And they're not actually talking to God. They're talking to the people around them. Oh, Lord, thank you for my friend, Jason. I pray that you will help him see that he needs to stop leaving his Adirondack chairs on my lawn. (laughs) That kind of thing. You can leave them on the lawn. I, I like to sit in them sometimes, but... But you've heard people, you know, maybe pastors especially, stand up and pray, and it's very clear after a minute or two, they're actually not talking to God, they're talking to me. And maybe you've done that in your Bible studies or something as well. But I think if we're using this this parable as a model for how to pray, which is, you know, where I think we ought to go with it, um, a decent prayer rule of thumb might be, Pray to God. (laughs) More specifically, don't use prayer as a shield for words that you want to say to other people, but maybe don't dare to. There may be occasions where somebody needs to hear the words that you want to say to them, but that doesn't mean you get to say them while you're praying to God to make it simpler or more spiritual or to deflect the, well, I was just praying. I don't know what you mean. Sometimes you have to tell that neighbor, get your chairs off my lawn, metaphorically speaking. <clears throat> but I think, obviously, and Jesus is very clear about this, that it's the tax collector's prayer that's a better model for how we ought to pray. And as I mentioned at the outset, a lot of people suggest that this prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner, is the basis for the sinner's prayer, that very classically evangelical prayer of conversion that's been used at Billy Graham Crusades and at InterVarsity and Campus Crusade and uh, in churches all around the country and, and around the world, actually, that that prayer is the basis of the prayer that I prayed when I was a little kid, the first time I ever made a public confession of my own faith. And it's easy to be dismissive of that prayer because, oh, it's so simplistic and it just, it just, it's, it, it's an unsophisticated approach to conversion to Christianity and uh, all those things that we might want to say about it. But I actually think that prayer is pretty profound. And that it's, that some form of that prayer might actually be useful for us to keep in mind. Because the story, the, the parable doesn't give us any indication that this man is actually coming to faith for the first time. In fact, in a Jewish temple, the context would be much more uh, that the the man was born into the Jewish faith and was expected to practice it all his life and had failed to do so. And so it wasn't like he was coming to God for the first time in that story. This was part of his ongoing spiritual formation, such as it was, him being a tax collector and all. So I think the, the, a prayer sort of like the sinner's prayer might be appropriate for people at all walks, all stages of their journey with God. And I'm not alone in that thought, actually. Um, there are a number of traditional Christian prayers that, that are based on that tax collector's prayer. It's not just our evangelical 
conversion moment prayer. The, the Roman Catholic Church has a prayer uh, that's often used at the outset of Mass that basically says the same thing. Um, I've sinned and then I confess before God and my brothers and sisters that I've sinned and I ask for forgiveness and for you to pray for me and, and that kind of thing. But the most famous prayer that's based on this sinner's prayer in uh, Luke 18 is an Eastern Orthodox prayer called the Jesus Prayer. Now, uh, if you've been here over the years, you have heard us use this prayer from time to time, the Jesus Prayer. And so some of you are familiar with it, um, but many of you will be hearing this for the first time. It's a profound, short little prayer, and it simply goes like this, and it, it will pop up behind me here. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, this prayer has been used by Orthodox people for centuries. And uh, in recent years has become repopularized and, and reappropriated by us weird Protestants, especially those of us who uh, try to reach way back to all our roots in Christendom and, and have a more holistic approach to our, our Christianity. But this prayer, I think, is it's like the sinner's prayer on steroids. It's like the sinner's prayer, high-protein version. All the fluff has been cut out of it. It says everything that the sinner's prayer says in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 words. Did I count right? You just go through this prayer one word at a time, and you have basically the entire center of the Christian faith. Lord. Jesus Christ as Lord. We all, you know, we evangelicals use this little sinner's prayer, and we say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I invite him to become the Lord of my life, right? You've all heard that phrase before, probably. This simply says it. Assigns Jesus the title, Lord, Jesus Christ, Christ being the word for Messiah, anointed one. When you talk about Jesus, you can be talking about the Jewish teacher from 2,000 years ago. But if, you, if you tack Christ on the end of it, you're saying something different about who you think he is. Or you're really angry. But none of you would ever do that. If you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the Messiah. The one. That says a whole host of things about where he fits in the Jewish history that preceded him uh, on earth. And certainly where he fits in the Christian history that succeeded him on earth. Son of God does not get much clearer than that. When you pray the Jesus prayer for Jesus Christ, Son of God, you are making a confession of faith about who Jesus is. That he wasn't simply a wonderful teacher, a moral leader. That he wasn't even just very important in some historical Jewish way, that he was a Messiah, a Christ. You're saying he is the Son of God, and that's pretty big news. Typically, that first line of the prayer uh, is prayed while you inhale. You inhale and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And then the second half of the prayer gets, brings it back home to you, and, and it would Traditionally, you would exhale as you say, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
have mercy on me is a pretty powerful thing to say as well. And of course, it's because of the last word that you are stating something, having stated some really significant things about who Jesus is, you are now stating some pretty challenging and significant and sometimes difficult things about yourself, that I am a sinner and that I am in need of mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That kind of cuts through a lot of the, uh, the quasi-Christian fluff that floats around sometimes where, you know, you pray and, and you want to do your best and really God just wants to grab you in his arms and give you a bear hug. And <laughs> I just made two joke at the same time. <clears throat> I've never done that in a sermon before. When you say, have mercy on me, a sinner, you are getting to the most difficult part of the Christian faith to deal with, the fact that, yes, there is something drastically wrong with my soul. And absent the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I am sunk. <laughs> and so if, you were, if you've been a Christian for 50 years and been saying this prayer the whole time, I think all it does is continue to reinforce what you've already stated you believe. You could use this at the moment of conversion, and I think you'd be there. I think it says everything you need to say at the moment of conversion. You pray this prayer and believe the words in it, I think you're in, baby. <laughs> I think that's it. I mean, there's lots of other doctrinal and theological stuff that you're going to explore over the next decades, but that's the basics. But you could also, as I started to say, be, have been praying this prayer for 50 years, and this repeated plea for mercy is not some kind of revisiting of your conversion moment. It's not you saying, oh no, I messed it up. I have to pray the prayer again to get right with God, which by the way, I did probably 10 more times as I grew up in the uh, denomination in which I grew up that emphasized holiness very strongly over and above the constant need for grace because you're going to, you know, mess things up every day. Um, and so I, I re-prayed that prayer. And if any of you grew up in that same tradition, I'm sure that you also re-prayed that prayer. Um, but in this case, the re-praying of this prayer, I don't think is you having, feeling like you have to return to the moment of conversion because you've lost your salvation. The, the, the repeated plea for mercy is not a reconversion. It's a realignment, a restatement of where you think you are, where you know you are in relation to God and the fact that you need Jesus to have mercy on you. Well, I want to uh, lead you in a little exercise where we actually use this prayer and we actually pray it together some. And um, the, uh, the Orthodox people very often will use a, a, a prayer bracelet or a prayer rope when they pray this prayer. Just a very simply, on the most simple level, it would be a, a rope with knots in it. And uh, it's, it's prayed in repetition. And so the, the, the knots in seven or ten or 
50, depending on how, uh, how much prayer somebody wants to do, would just be a way of keeping track of how many times you've prayed it. You know, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, you have uh, rosary beads, which kind of guide you around uh, a particular prayer. And in the Anglican Church, there are, there are prayer beads that do a similar thing, uh, where you repeat prayers going around this, uh, this chain, basically. Um, and so I've brought some, some little pieces of rope here with me today, and I'm going to ask uh, a couple of you to help me pass them out. Bryn, will you help me do that? Thank you. Just uh, make sure everybody gets one. Aaron, can you do the uh, other side of the room? So if you want to try this with me, um, you, can, you can pray along, and if you don't want to try it with me, it'd be pretty easy to fake it. And that's okay, too. But I would actually encourage all of you to do this. Um, sometimes, even if you, if you don't, it's, it's sort of like when you say the creeds. We often say when we recite creeds together, um, you, you may need to put question marks at the end of some of these lines because you're not quite sure, but uh, it can be helpful to try the words on. Um, so you might want to try these words on, too. And so what I'd like to do is actually help you make a prayer rope while you say the prayer. And so what you'll do, remember the inhaling and exhaling. Typically, you would inhale on the first line, and you can pray this in your, in your mind. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, on the inhale. And then on the exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. And each time you do that, just make a, a, a simple little knot in the rope. Start up at the top the first time. Don't do it yet. And make a knot. And the second time you pray it, just go a little bit farther down on the rope. And uh, I'd like to give you a good five minutes to do this, because some of you um, can't tie as quickly as others. No, because some of you may want to to dwell in a little bit of silence while you do this. Um, And uh, if you have leftovers, can you bring them to the folks in the lobby, Bryn, if you didn't already? Thank you. Did everybody who wants a piece of rope get a piece of rope? If you didn't, raise your hand and Jaron will bring you one. Okay. So clear enough, I'm going to give you a few minutes of silence. Pray the the Jesus prayer. And I'd recommend with the length of rope I've given you, seven times. Seven is kind of a, has a lot of history in the Christian faith. And so you can make seven little knots in it. Um, Take five minutes of of silence and... um, Make yourself a little orthodox prayer rope.
If you're still working on that, you can obviously continue to do that while I, while I talk some more about this. Um, but I know this is, a, this is the type of spiritual practice that may be really unfamiliar to many of us. Um, and sometimes we, we say, well, I don't want to repeat prayers because I don't want to, it doesn't seem as real to me if I'm not praying from the heart. Um, but I think this, this exercise is actually one that, that um, needs your heart a little bit, like you would need dough. It, it sort of softens it a little bit, um, the repetition of it. Um, actually puts you in a place where you then can better pray extemporaneously from the heart. Uh, Because I think doing something like the Jesus prayer um, gives you a sense of perspective. And uh, when you do do it with with an aid, like the little piece of rope, it it can also... uh, be meditative and, and soothing and, and quiet yourself a little bit, be a nice way to do that. Um, for you parents, I also think it's a great prayer to pray with your children. It's short enough that most kids can learn it really quickly, and uh, children can also help make a, a prayer rope like this very simply, um, just by making knots and a piece of string. Uh, you can also be, be a little more creative with it and do beads and that sort of thing. Um, it's small enough that you can, you can slip it in your pocket, and uh, if you're at work and you're feeling the stress of things kind of coming at you and, and, you're, and you want to pray, but you're just like, my boss is such, you can just put your hand in your pocket and grab that little piece of rope and nobody will know. And you can pray the prayer, and it's so simple, and it's, and it's tied with your breathing, and, and you, can, you can kind of be working on, depending on your job, you can work while you pray. If you're handling heavy, sharp machinery, maybe not the best idea, but... Um. So the Jesus Prayer, centuries old, very simple, profound theological, meditative softens your heart to prepare you for other types of prayer. And uh, I think that, that the origin of the prayer really is this parable here. And uh, so in addition to all those benefits that I've just given you, which could be just, you know, me doing the Steve Jobs keynote summary, you know, I, you don't need to let me convince you all the great things about this. You can simply look at the parable and say, Jesus said this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves, in other words, all who lift themselves, will be humbled. All who humble themselves will be exalted. And more than anything else, I think the Jesus prayer is a prayer of humility. And so, I will leave you with that. Rather than pray for you extemporaneously... I will leave you with your Orthodox-style prayer ropes and the Jesus prayer and simply invite you to come to the Lord's table and celebrate communion. Um, and as, uh, as we often say here, this is, uh, our table is, is open to anybody who is seeking to follow Jesus in this community of faith 
on this day. Um, you don't need to be a member of our church. You uh, don't need to be a religious expert to participate in this uh, ritual that Jesus instituted. You can simply come and remember him, remember his death, his resurrection, and receive his presence in the bread and the wine or the juice. Simply tear one piece off and uh, dip it in the cups. Um, I like to call that food for the soul. <laughs> strengthen you on your spiritual journey. Uh, and if you'd like to, to stay in your seat for a few minutes and, and keep using the, the prayer rope that you've just made or uh, simply contemplate and think, you can do that. Um, we're going to sing some more songs together so there's really not a rush to get to the table. Uh, you can come at any time. The table will be open for the rest of our service. Um, I invite you to come when you're ready. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.